This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Sometimes We Fall as Boys but Rise as Men, with a subtitle, The Healing of a Purple Heart Iraqi Veteran. And the author is Thomas Green III, and Thomas joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Thomas. Hello, how are you doing? I'm going to read a... Some sentences that you've written concerning the book, just an introduction, just a general introduction. I asked you to do this. This is what you said. This is a very captivating book that depicts a young boy and how he rose from his struggles in school to become a Purple Heart Iraq veteran after after he was struck by an IED. His mission is simply to help motivate, inspire, and encourage others. And you also wrote, this book is dedicated to every soldier, sailor, airman, marine, reservist, national guards, man and woman, coast guard, firefighter, police officer, and anyone else who raised their right hand and swore they would protect this nation any way they could. Well, those are very stirring words, Thomas. We really appreciate it. And give us a little idea of why you wrote the book. Well, I wrote the book uh, simply to really motivate and inspire other individuals that might be going through difficulties in life or crushing circumstances uh, in life. We we really all need to know that we're not alone in our struggles and that we can overcome these situations, as I do in the book of overcoming injuries in Iraq and overcoming difficulties um, growing up throughout school and the education system. So I just, I just really wanted people to know that that you're not alone in this and that, you know, we all can overcome. We just really have to just step out on faith, lean on each other, and and be able to help each other rise above all. You call this book your memoir because you start off right at the beginning on April 24th, 2004. You say, I was driving a military truck down a dusty road in Iraq when an explosion ripped the wheel out of my hands. And, of course, you sustained a very serious injury. What happened to you? What kind of an injury? Oh, what happened to me is uh, my vehicle hit an improvised explosive device, IED, and I flipped 10 times and I was actually crushed inside. The injuries I ended up sustaining from that um, explosion were a crushed pelvis and a fractured back. Later, to be diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury, TBI, which affects my short-term memory and chronic headaches. I have screws inserted in my pelvis which overlaps my back, and I have damage to uh, both of my knees. Well, a lot of people would just give up with all those serious complications. What has kept you going? Wow, my faith. My faith uh, My faith in God has really kept me going, has really motivated me. My uh, nature of caring nature for others has really motivated uh, me to, to continue going. Um, I feel like uh, my life has a lot more added value, you know, um, serving for this country and being able to take the protect the men and the women and, and my family and, and children and then being hurt and to be able to come back and be able to share my story to continue to just really being a motivation motivational force in the community has has just really just really propelled me to, to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to think of the sky's the limit. I, I want the stars, the moon, the sky. I want to be able to take it all and I want to be able to take everybody with me on my journey. You also say that when you were recovering at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C., your mom said to you, trying to encourage you, she reminded you of, guess what her mother said to her, trouble doesn't last forever. Did that, at that moment in time, uh, did that really register with you? Uh, No, it didn't. At that moment in time when she said that at the hospital, that didn't register to me at all. I mean, all all I really could see was just... um, the situation that I was in, and I think all of us sometimes only see that situation that we're in today, that it's raining, that it's cloud cover, that it's that it's just a miserable time in life. 
we never really see that in road that it doesn't last always. It's just, you know, raining for a moment. The sun will come back out again. So it, it really didn't dawn on, dawn on me to, you know, really kind of month into my recovery as I started to see myself strengthening and gaining progress on being able to walk again. Now, how old were you when this happened? I was 21 years old uh, when I got injured back in uh, April 24th of 04. And at that moment in time, I'm sure you thought you would be in a wheelchair forever? Uh, yes, I did. I, 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 You know, it was a small chance that I'd be able to walk again. Uh, the doctor said if so, it may be with some type of corrective devices. But uh, before my surgery, they were unsure of will I ever be able to come out of this. At one point in time, I could not feel anything from my lower extremities down. I deemed to, to somewhat be paralyzed. Uh, once again, they didn't know what was going to yield from the surgery. So, I mean, it was it was really just, just hard to fathom myself being in a wheelchair forever. So what was the uh, initial steps? What did you have to do? I'm sure things that uh, you didn't want to do. Uh, well, a lot of, lot of physical therapy. Um, and I, I'm going to be honest, I quit every day on my physical therapy. Um, you know, during my time on my physical therapy, well, actually right before my surgery, my wife left me in the hospital. She walked out on me. So I, I really kind of just gave up, gave up altogether. Um, a lot of the stuff I really couldn't fight the physical therapist on because they were actually moving my legs for me. I had no strength, no power to move my own legs. So it was just, just two, two to three times a day physical therapy, uh, a lot of working out to be able to take those first steps uh, to learning how to walk again. And a lot of pain, I'm sure. Oh, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. Unfortunately, a lot of medication to kind of control the pain. Um, I mean, you know, that, that, that term, blood, sweat, and tears, I mean, that's, it, it took all of that in a mental state, uh, really a mental, solid mental and emotional state to try to even focus to go into each session. So here you are almost six years later. What kind of progress have you made? Well, I made a lot of progress. Um, I'm walking now. Um, I'm walking off and on with the cane, uh, more off these days than on. Um, I still struggle with chronic pain. Uh, my, my, kind of my lip has gotten a little better as well, too. Um, still having some trouble with the memorization, but, uh, I, I can concentrate. I'm in working a full-time job. Um, you know, speaking, motivational speaker, author as well. So I have made a tremendous 360-degree turnaround from being in that hospital bed at 04 to really getting back on my feet and being an active part of not only my community but society in general. So you really see purpose in your life now because you never gave up. Yes, yes. I tapped into my faith. I tapped into uh, God here and listened. Just really listened as he prepared me to be able to write this story. The story first came to me in the hospital and, you know, but I, I don't feel like I was prepared. I had to go through a little bit more in order for I, me to utilize my story to help other people. And I just really feel like this is truly a, a testimony and, and I must share. I must not keep this testimony to myself. I must share it with, with the world, with the kids that are struggling in school, with individuals that are struggling with any situations throughout life. I, I must share my story to let them know that, hey, you can get through it. You, you can overcome it. You can achieve. And that's the real key, isn't it, that somehow we all have to just dig deep down and say, I'm never going to give up. Right. You, you have to tap into yourself, and you have to believe. Uh, I feel like everybody's entitled to fall down. Everybody's entitled to cry. Everybody's entitled to, to be angry. But I usually ask folks two questions. Question number one, how long are you going to stay down there? And question number two, what are you going to do when you get back up? The time that you dip the down, that's when you're figuring it out. That's when you're digging deep. That's when you're pulling everything that you got together and say, hey, look, I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm not going to let society beat me. I'm not going to let what people say beat me. I'm not going to let my situation beat me. I am going to beat my situation. I'm going to pull it together because the only person that's going to be able to get this together is me. So that's when you really... Just pull it together and, and accomplish it. Just do it. How often do you get a chance to talk to soldiers returning from Iraq or Afghanistan? Well, um, in my job as a veterans employment coordinator, 
Um, I get I, I get a full opportunity to talk to the veterans um, all the time about employment issues, but you know, a little bit of going above and beyond my job duty, I get the privilege of being able to keep them continual, continuously encouraged through these hard economic times, and and also just be able to get, give the words of encouragement of, hey, I, I know how you feel. You know, I know that you, you don't really feel the same when you get back home, and you're going through some psychological issues and you don't understand yourself right now, but, you know, you, you will. You know, so any opportunity that I can that I see a soldier, I'm, I'm there talking to a soldier, sailor, airman, or marine. I'm, I'm talking to them and, and just really just trying to encourage them, hey, you know what, you're doing a good job. What you did for this country is not going unrecognized. It's people out here who really care. So just any moment I get to talk to them. And I'm sure students, uh, high school students or college students you talk with, have got to be inspired with your story. Oh man, yeah, they are. They they are very grateful. Uh, I spoke to from elementary, from third grade, all the way up, even through uh, college. And uh, I, I get I get letters from the students, from the teachers, um, all the time, from the professors as well. That just hey, you know. I know we had you speaking for this group, but can you just come talk to the individual class? Uh, how can we get involved? How can we help? I mean, they're truly inspired to know that, hey, you know what? I, I had this learning disability, too. I get a lot of elementary kids. I get a lot of high school kids that say, hey, look, they labeled me with a slow learning disability, or they told me I was stupid. They told me I was dumb. They told me I wouldn't make it. And I tell them all the time, hey, they told me the same thing. But look at me now. You can make it. You know, you are smart enough. You can achieve what you desire to achieve. You know, don't let nobody tell you that. And always, no matter what, believe in yourself. You're your, you're your toughest critic, and the only one that can hold you down is you. And if you don't hold yourself down, you can accomplish anything in this world. Before this incredible challenge that you that you faced and are facing, uh, what was your attitude about life before, you know, this uh, war injury occurred to you? Uh, well, that, my attitude in life um, kind of started in, in, in college. And I kind of just, I was, I was playing football in college at Bacon College in Muskogee, Oklahoma, when I, I just kind of hit reality that it's a lot of folks out here playing football. A lot of people are trying to get in the NFL. You know, it's one in, you know, how many ever actually make it to the NFL. And I think my life began to change then that if I die today or tomorrow, what can somebody say about me? You know, what have I accomplished while I was on earth? Who have I helped? And, you know, I couldn't answer that question. I couldn't say that I'd done anything that had any purpose in life at that point in time. That's why I joined the military, to be able to help out. So it really, you know, the injury, I think, just really heightened what I was already feeling. It kind of brought out probably what my true talents and my true gift is, and which is being able to motivate and inspire other individuals. So one of the keys, it sounds like, from your point of view, is we have to ask ourselves the right questions. Exactly. Exactly. Once you begin to ask yourself that question, you know, what, what's, my, what's my purpose? And, and all the times I must admit, we, we can't find all the answers in books. We, we really have to look at ourselves, too, and say, hey, what, what, is my, what is my purpose? What do I stand for? What do I believe in? And once you start answering them questions and realize who you, what you stand for, what positive nature can you, can you contribute to society, who can you help while you're here, I think you will find many, many of your answers there. So what happened to you really, though, dramatically uh, forced you to take, I guess, some major steps because you had to completely rehabilitate yourself. Um, obviously, you had a lot of people helping you, but you had to take control. You had to decide every day that you were going to fight through the pain and you're going to get back with your life. You're going to get on with your life, right? Oh, I, I did. I did. Uh, my son helped me with that as well. I'm knowing that, um, you know, I, I might have lost my uh, wife, but, you know, I, I had my son to hold on to. Um, I had... Uh, my faith to hold on to, and you're right, I did have a lot, my family was very supportive, my mom, my dad, my sisters, all very supportive, supportive, a lot of people just all around the world continued to pray, they didn't even know me from Adam and Eve, I mean, the letters were coming in, and, and, and really, I felt like I owed it, owed everything to them to, to be able to rehabilitate myself, and to be able to move forward, and to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn what post-traumatic stress disorder is, I'm going to learn what 
my injuries are. That way I can master them. You know, we have to just develop new ways to, to maybe, maybe do something simple and pick up a piece of paper. Maybe I can't just bend at the knees. Maybe I have to go at an angle to pick that paper. Maybe I have to use some type of corrective device to pick, the, pick a simple piece of paper up. But you know what? It, it's different ways out there, and we just have to master uh, non-traditional ways to do traditional, traditional things. And to never, never give up. Never give up. Never lose your faith. Never, you know, never quit on yourself. I mean, my my model is keep moving forward and step out on faith. And I think um, if you keep moving forward and step out on faith, you can accomplish anything in this world. Thomas, it's such a thrill to uh, talk to you and get to know you a little. I'm sure you're having a dramatic impact on many, many uh, people around you, congratulations, and uh, keep up the great work. Tell us how to get your book. Oh, well, first of all, I would just like to say uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, and thank you to the listeners for, um, for all the prayers that you sent out to the troops. Um, you know, w- w- without you guys and, and, and all the prayers, all the letters, and all the support, you know, a-, a lot of us wouldn't make it right now. And it is because of you guys that, we continue to fight for our country. We continue to believe in ourselves, and we can continue that we can believe that we can achieve everything. Uh, you can get my book on iUniverse.com. You also can go to Thomas Green Green dot com as well, and that's just T H O M A S G R E E N I I I dot com. And anywhere that you can pretty much buy a book online, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon. Uh, borders anywhere that a book is sold online, you can look me up. You can Google my name and uh, be able to find access to my book as well. So it's it, it's it's definitely out there, foreign and domestic. Well, Thomas, it's really an honor to have you with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much, and uh, God bless everybody, and uh, thanks for the support. That was Thomas Green the Third. He is the author of his book. Sometimes we fall as boys, but rise as men. The Healing of a Purple Heart Iraqi Veteran. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. East Texas Meals on Wheels needs your help. For the first time in 35 years, Meals on Wheels has a waiting list for meals. Currently, we serve more than 3,500 meals per day. With the help of donors and volunteers, we can eliminate the waiting list and serve more meals and ensure all who need a hot, nutritious meal are served. You can call our offices toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 to find out more about how you can help. You can also visit our website at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. Again, toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 or visit us on the web at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. After all, when a person needs a meal, they need it today, not tomorrow. Thank you for helping Meals on Wheels. Saturdays on toginap.com. It's Author Talk. Get the story behind the story on fiction and literature, graphic novels, horror, mystery and crime novels, romance, science fiction and fantasy, westerns, history, humor, inspiration, and every genre. It's all on Author Talk. You'll get to hear new authors talk about their books. Take the opportunity to hear insights on what inspired them to write it. It's called Author Talk on Toginet.com. And it's presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their book around the world. Author House has assisted more than 30,000 authors, producing over 40,000 titles. Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen, every Saturday on Toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Driftwood, and the author is Theodore Stryker. And Theodore joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Theodore. Hello, Steve. Good to have you with us now. Driftwood. Driftwood, as you say, is an assortment of short stories, essays, and random articles. And 
you've divided it up into three parts, and we'll kind of talk about that and talk about a few of the the different short stories, essays, and random articles. But this is your life with a little fictional twist on it to give you a little bit more flexibility, real-life events in the life of Theodore Stryker, correct? That's correct. Why write the book, Theodore? Well, Steve, uh, I retired from the federal government, and after a few years, I came to realize that I was much nearer to the end than to the beginning, and I wanted to leave something behind, hopefully something of value. And after the book was published, I distributed copies to family and friends, of course. But after a while, with a little other activity, it occurred to me that unless I am read, I haven't really left much behind. So I embarked upon an attempt to uh, distribute the book a little more widely. Well, I'm certain your family and your friends uh, really appreciate this gift to them because it gives them something uh, long-lasting. That's a, a you know a real, um, I guess, exclamation point on anyone's life when you can leave them with kind of a, like a life history, right? That was my intent. Well, good for you. Well, let's let's talk about the three parts now. You have an assortment of short stories. Now, what are they called? What, what's the heading for that? The heading is Chicken Soup. And why did you call it that? Uh, the intent was uh, something of substance. Ah, so Chicken Soup, right. That's something we usually take when we need some nourishment, right? Exactly. So what makes that section of 15 short stories, what makes that nourishment for us? What, what, what have you... Uh, shared with us there. Why don't you pick out a couple of these short stories and and tell us about them. Again, to remind everyone, this is fiction based on real-life events in Theodore's life, but he'd like to uh, just go a little bit further in his literary flexibility, so he's, he's done a little fiction. He's mixed a little fiction in with it. So tell us about one of your short stories. Well, the, the first one is called A Summer Night in Parkersville. And it's the story of a young army deserter who uh, races across sparsely populated Northern California in a stolen car. And he has the police in hot pursuit behind him. So he turns into a small town, and uh, he almost immediately collides with a train at a railroad crossing. And that was based on an incident that actually occurred uh, while I was growing up. And the theme of this short story, uh, is, is it a theme that runs through all the short stories, the same theme, or does each short story have a little bit different theme? Each story has a little different theme. So what was the theme of this story? The uh, tragedy and its effect upon those who participated in it. So you had some big challenges you faced. Rather. Well, what, what was one of them? What was one of the big challenges? Whether this person should be dealt with compassionately or whether he would be or should be dismissed as a result of the error of his ways and uh, the emotions that the event stirred within the people who were present at the scene. Yes, the actions of other people can really affect us, can't they? They certainly can. And... Challenge us. Exactly. And I guess that's what you're uh, saying, and that's what you had to deal with. So we won't go into all the details. We certainly want people to read that. But what's one other short story? Kind of set it up for us. The, uh, another was called The Second Thinking of the USS Arizona. And that's the story of an elderly veteran of World War II who fought courageously in the Pacific and was much decorated. And at the end of his life, he plans a pilgrimage to the sunken hole of the USS Arizona at Pearl Harbor. But when he arrives there, finally, he finds that uh, because of a horde of Japanese tourists, he's unable to get a ferry boat out to the hole. And he tries repeatedly but fails, and finally he has to return home without having accomplished his objective. Well, let's move on to a next, another 
section of, of these three parts in your book called Driftwood. By the way, why did you call your book Driftwood? Uh, a number of people have said that they find it hard to relate the title to the content of the book. But in my mind, the stories, the essays, and the other articles were very much like the random pieces of wood, the flotsam that washes up on a shore. So you would pick up this piece of wood and wonder where it came from, and uh, maybe there, there might even be a use for it as well, right? Yes, the, but the emphasis was upon its mysterious appearance on the, uh, the shore. Now your second part is your essays. Now, what do you mean? What's the difference between a short story and an essay in your book? Well, the short stories are based on actual events and actually describe actual events. And the essays deal only with issues. Issues that were presented to you as you were going through life. That's correct. Different issues. Like, give us an example of one of the issues in one of the essays. Well, the, uh, for example, uh, immigration, the gender war, race, those are a few that are among the eight essays. Well, the gender war, what do you mean by that? The, the <clears throat> women's liberation movement and the conflict that that uh, created between the sexes. And so is this, in these essays, you're voicing your opinion on these issues? That's correct. It's, it's opinion. Okay. All right. Now, you also have some random, random articles. Uh, they're called From the Attic, right? Right. Now, what does that mean, From the Attic? What, what, why, why did you say From the Attic? Well, again, the intent was that uh, these are simply random writings, and mostly random observations that can't correctly be called essays and certainly can't correctly be called short stories. Give us an example. Well, one, I will call it article, deals with, uh, uh, well, I entitle it The Proximity of Our Past, and it deals with uh, events from my early life to show that the past really isn't as far away or as disconnected from us as we usually think. And another of the articles was Japan Revisited. I spent many years there, first uh, when I was headquartered in Tokyo during the Korean War, uh, between trips to Korea. And uh, then I also spent four years in Japan attending Sofia University and actually graduated from Sofia University. And married a Japanese woman. That's correct. Now, you say you have an obsession with Japan. Why is this obsession with you? Is this a really deep kind of rooted obsession about this foreign country? Well, that's difficult to explain, really. I grew up in a small town in Northern California, and I'd never traveled 100 miles beyond it until I enlisted in the Air Force in 1951, and uh, expecting to be transported to Korea. In fact, in, on a troop ship that uh, took me first to Japan, took everyone first to Japan, and then most of them uh, who arrived in Japan would go on to Korea. But I was retained there uh, in a headquarters unit, and my trips to Korea were frequent, but my headquarters was in Tokyo. And the striking difference between the two cultures immediately attracted my attention, and my impressions were very favorable. And it is that contrast in cultures that uh, has obsessed me for many years. Well, they obviously were very favorable with your marriage to a Japanese woman. <laughs> Initially, yes. yes. <laughs> but over years, Japan changed. It became more modern, more Western. Ah. And uh, uh, much of that did not sit well with me. Now, is, is that also included in your thoughts in your book, how you feel about the change? Yes. In the uh, article, Japan Revisited, which is rather lengthy under From the Attic, 
Now, also from the attic, you have one called Looking Back. Now, you say it's a summary of your life and your personal philosophy. Um, how do you how do you look upon, let's say, capitalism? That's one of the topics. How do you see capitalism? That's that's a very uh, debated uh, principle today. Yes, it is. There can be no doubt that capitalism has worked in the sense that it has uh, enabled billions of people to live in some degree of prosperity for many years. But it is also highly flawed and uh, perhaps uh, can eventually be perfected. But uh, that, of course, is something that only the future can uh, do for us. Now, you call yourself an atheist. Yes. Why are you an atheist? I, I suppose the best way I can explain that is to say that uh, very early in my life, I come to realize that uh, religious teachings simply were not consistent with the world I lived in, with the world I knew. Therefore, there isn't a God? I can, can find no instance, I can find no evidence that a God exists. So that's that empirical side of you. You you have to have that kind of tangible evidence. That's correct. We uh, uh, Human progress is based upon knowledge, not upon speculation. How old are you? I'm 76. 76. Years young, it sounds like. <laughs> I wish it were so. <laughs> Well, to publish a book, you know, most people at 76 aren't publishing books. So that's, that's I, a tremendous accomplishment. I had a definite purpose in mind. Yes, yes. My purpose now is to get it distributed. Exactly. It will not be looked upon kindly by many people, and I realize that. Nonetheless, I'm determined to do whatever I can to get it distributed. Now, you also talk about... Uh, a more rational approach to race relations. Now, how did how do you see race relations? Uh, was it from your experience in the military? Uh, where where did you develop your view of today's modern race relations? No, actually, I I uh, have lived through the civil rights movement, which I of which I was a staunch supporter, and uh, through the aftermath of the civil rights movement, the years since then. And I uh, have to agree that race is still a major social issue. So we have three parts in a book called Driftwood. You have chicken soup, things that must be said, and from the attic. Three different parts with short stories, essays, and random articles the experiences and the philosophy and the thoughts of Theodore Stryker. Well, Theodore, we really appreciate you being with us. Tell us how to get your book. Uh, it's available through all or through a number of internet websites. It's available, of course, through iUniverse, through Amazon.com, and also through Barnes and Noble website. As far as I know, it's not yet available in stores. But people can order it, I'm sure. If but they it can be ordered. Right, they can order it in, in any bookstore. Well, Theodore, thank you. Thank you for sharing your, your life, your insight, your philosophy with us. Well, thank you for having me on your program. That was Theodore Stryker. He is the author of his book. It is titled Driftwood. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on toginet.com. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author. 
with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Scraps, Fictional Fragments, and the author is David Luck. And David joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, David. Hi, how are you today, Steve? Well, this is a collection of short stories, of stories that come from your experience of living near a a lake right there in Denver, and then some other, I guess, some other uh, stories from your travels? That's correct, of course, uh... Steve, part of why I named the book Scraps is because uh, it's just a variety of stories gleaned from uh, many places and many people. Although, as you mentioned, uh, the first five stories uh, are centered around a lake here in Denver called Sloan's Lake. And uh, I came to write those stories. Uh, I'd been living in the mountains, kind of an isolated area, and I was used to taking hikes by myself and and uh, just not inter- uh just not interacting with people particularly, and I moved to Denver itself and a few blocks away from this lake, and suddenly here I was just uh, overwhelmed by people of all varieties and ethnic uh, mix and uh, all the vibrant colors uh, of the city, and uh, that just uh, brought my mind into overdrive, and uh, I started imagining what many of these people I met might be doing in their life, and uh, out of that came these stories, these lake stories, the first five. And you say readers will enjoy the story's characters as they wrestle, these characters wrestle with familiar themes of love, lust, and yearning. Well, I always laugh a little bit about uh, about that when someone asks me, well, what, what do you really write about? Well, I think most all of us writers write about the themes of life, lust, love, and yearning. And uh, with outcomes that uh, these stories have outcomes that sometimes uh, are not always what uh, you think they should be. And I think that's the surprise in many of the stories. Uh, you use, uh, is it Garrison Keeler? Garrison Keeler quote. Yeah, the correct. quote, uh, writers are vacuum cleaners who suck up other people's lives and weave them into stories like a sparrow builds a nest from scraps. That's true. And that's what, what we all do. And. I know that in my own experience, that's what I do, uh, sometimes not even realizing that I do it, uh, you know, meeting people and seeing people. I just collect these little tidbits, and uh, eventually those are woven into some story that I might uh, be writing. So as you uh, very specifically say, Scraps is not a quilting book, <laughs> but... You know, these stories are like a tapestry of stimulating fiction. Now, what is the stimulating fiction? What kind of a theme do you have? Well, there's not a theme that goes, uh, you know, through the entire book in that sense, Steve. But the stories are are just a a lot of life stories. Um, They involve people, real-life people, and what real-life people are, are dealing with. Um, how they how they challenge each other each other indirectly sometimes sometimes very directly and of course the uh, always the hidden theme of uh, well you know is this going to be hurtful is this going to be loving uh, and of course sometimes the ending uh, will surprise even ourselves in our real life and and the endings will surprise us in these stories too. 
and you touch on our memories and you touch on our vulnerabilities. Well, that's really, really right. Some of these stories uh, came out of the past. Um, I'm a native of Wyoming, and so I gleaned a lot of scraps from there, too. And uh, some of these stories delve back into my childhood and uh, and I've had readers that have read the book scraps uh, tell me boy this I really relate to this I can remember doing this when I was a when I was a child or I can really relate to walking around the lake uh, as you do in your stories because I used to do that and I used to see people that were just exactly like you portrayed them in this book and they really have enjoyed reading this book scraps So you've really tried to make it realistic because you say my characters experience and struggle with these different desires, and like us, sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. That's true, and that's, uh, Steve, I've tried to write, I try to write realistically. These people are just like uh, you and just like me and just like the people we meet every day in our own families and uh, our own struggles and our own beliefs. And uh, sometimes uh, we get misled, too, by outsiders. And uh, then these stories in our lives, or our lives as portrayed in these stories, um, sometimes have surprising endings. Uh, We may dream about things all uh, all our life. And uh, sometimes we realize those dreams, and sometimes we don't. And then sometimes we realize those dreams in a way in which we would have no idea it was going to happen. And I like to surprise readers that way. And you talk about the challenge of writing believable characters. That is really a challenge. It really is a challenge to write believable characters because you pick a character or you don't really necessarily pick a character, but a character comes to mind. And and I really try to put myself in that character's place and what would I do in this situation. Or how would I react to uh, this other person? Uh, And I try to make it as realistic as I can because uh, I'm sure you've read books too, Steve, that the characters just don't seem real. You know, they couldn't do that or, you know, they couldn't think like that. And uh, I try to avoid that. I try to make them just everyday, common, ordinary people, uh, just like you and me. And you call that realistic creativity. I call that realistic (laughs) creativity, right. And I think a lot of that, you have to be a real observer of life. And I I really think I am a a real observer of life, of people and and of life. It's it's kind of like standing on a street corner and watching the people walk by, but it goes deeper than that. Uh, People have coats on and clothes on, and and they look a certain way. But uh, how do they really look, uh, you know, in their own mind? How do they really look? And uh, how are they really presenting themselves in the world? And uh, kind of like looking at these people that way, really analyzing them and how we think they might really be. And, and then being able to write that is the challenge. And how these characters might respond in a, in a different situation that you put them in. <laughs> that's, that's always a surprise to me, too. And I, <laughs> I enjoy that part. You enjoy that part. You know, all of a sudden, your characters come to life, and they start talking, right? That's right. And you go, wow, I didn't know they knew that. That's right. <laughs> Where'd they get that idea from? Absolutely. You make this statement. You said some of the short stories in Scraps are, re- are a reminder of simpler times, our history, something we all yearn for. Now, talk about that. Help us understand what you're saying there. A few of the stories in Scraps uh, come from simpler times. Uh, they uh, they delve back uh, to a time when we didn't have all the electronic media that we have now. Um, there's two stories in particular. Come Spring is one, and the, the other one is called The Box Social. And these are, uh, these are events that occurred back in, oh, say, in the uh, 40s and 50s. Uh, and these were social interactions where people actually got together and did things uh, socially without the use of electronic devices. And I, I kind of think that's interesting. Well, I, I, I think it's very interesting because we are so attuned to doing everything uh, through electronic media now. 
and in fact, you'll see some of the cartoons in, in the everyday paper where uh, people uh, start to chat over the back fence and they say, well, you know, you can see my comments on Facebook. And uh, these stories, like uh, I mentioned, go back to a time when people interacted face-to-face. And uh, the box social is a uh, where uh, sandwiches were made by uh, the women and, and the young, young women, and uh, then they were auctioned off, and they were always auctioned off for a good cause. Uh, but as a young uh, person, as you'll see in the story, you'll find out why he's, he started to perspire, because he got his father to do the bidding for him. And these were social interaction things that we just don't see anymore. And I think some people yearn for that. They yearn for simpler times, and they will enjoy these stories. Now, the characters that are involved with lake stories, are are these people that you knew, or these uh, situations, uh, experiences that real people went through, or is this just what you've created? These are all fiction, just what I created. Uh, they're created, uh, or they are based on people that I saw, uh, observed around the lake on my walks, and uh, I just made up these stories about them. They, I never met any of those people in, in the lake stories. They're just truly fictional stories that I uh, invented, but based on real people that I saw around the lake and behaviors that I saw around the lake. Without giving away the, uh, the, the climax of this short story, tell us about the character Angelica. Just, you know, give us some little insight into Angelica and what she's going through, her mental process. Here's Angelica, a young woman, uh, Hispanic in, in uh, origin, of course, and she's, uh, she was, as a young girl, she was attracted to a, a fellow at the lake and, uh, uh, not even a romance particularly blossomed, although she, uh, as a young girl, felt giddy in love with this guy and, and ultimately became pregnant and things didn't work out and, and because of age difference and many other things. And so here's a mother with a child and she's trying to get back into school to get, gain education so that she can become something and support herself. Well, the father enters back into the picture. And uh, slowly but surely, she wants him to get to know his and her son. But here she's torn uh, because she has a goal now. Boy, she's got a goal. She's going to make something of herself. She doesn't want to be caught back in this trap uh, with this man. But uh, this is all then pictured because she's waiting for him. They've come to a point where she allows him to take the, their son that they share uh, for an evening, and he's not returned the son. And this is uh, the setting is in a, in the winter time, and she's sitting in her car, and it's cold, and and that increases her anxiety. And where can her uh, uh, the father's her son's father be? He's late bringing back the son, and all this anxiety is carried through in the icy cold of this car. That is Angelica. Now, why do you take us to England? Well, England, uh, I just look for variety. Uh, I took you to England because I witnessed uh, an episode similar to what happened in Balby in this story, and I thought it would be interesting. And uh, it could happen anywhere, but this one did happen in England. And then you have, I guess, a comment about death and taxes. <laughs> you know, the things that we all can count on, right? Well, uh, you know, there's always that saying, uh, uh, you know, about death and taxes. And uh, here's Loomis in uh, Death and Taxes, and, and Loomis has uh, lived a, a long life, but uh, uh, unbeknownst to him, uh, taxes are coming due. And... Uh, well, you'll have to read the story to find out who wins, death or taxes. So <laughs> it's an interesting story. You have another title, Never Be Afraid Again. Never Be Afraid Again uh, is a story that I wrote 
pertaining to uh, concealed weapon carry and uh, how concealed weapon carry can make us feel very safe? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yes, it may be just uh, an illusion, huh? <laughs> but, well, you'll have to read the story. That's right. Either. That's right. When you when you when you can feel that weapon against you, I guess you know it's a different feeling than when you don't have it on. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that's true. And who's Petey? Petey is a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay, I'm glad my, I asked. I this, know, is, this is my fictional choice for <laughs> uh, for comedy uh, humor. <laughs> okay. And um, Petey is a parrot that uh, comes in to see this veterinarian via his owner, and Petey looks dead as a doornail in the cage. But uh, anyway, this young veterinarian can has optimistic that he can save anyone's life. But uh, anyway, uh, you'll get some laughs out of that story. <laughs> right. He's a, a parrot full of surprises. Tell us about your website. My website uh, is easy to access. It's www.davidluck.net. So it's just my name and .net. And you can find out more information about me and... Uh, and also information about my uh, other books that are available also. And we can get your book through iUniverse, as well as, I'm sure, all the online retailers. That is correct. Uh, Amazon.com, Barnes & Nobles, any bookstore can, uh, can arrange to uh, get the book for you. Well, David, we want to thank you for being on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you very much uh, for talking with me, Steve, and uh, enjoy Scraps. That was David Luck the author of his book, Scraps, Fictional Fragments. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.